Hi, I'm Tori, editor and producer of The Pod by Gen Zine, a publication aimed at addressing contemporary issues through the eyes of Generation Z. I must start this episode by figuratively holding up a big flashing neon trigger warning. This episode contains conversations about sexual assault. We will talk about Greek life, gendered violence, rape culture, and the deep-set frustration which always accompanies these topics. I want to invite any listeners that might be triggered by these topics to turn off this episode at any point if they so desire. There's also a lot of cursing, so basically, listen with caution. Although I am but a young 19-year-old, I approach these topics with genuine care and compassion, and I hope that comes through. Also, do not take every word in this episode as fact, and if you think I messed up here or there, feel free to let me know. Critiques, comments, personal anecdotes, I would love your input. You can DM us on Instagram at at thegenzine with the first word pod. With that out of the way, I want to thank everyone who helped contribute to this podcast, as well as my friend Jamie, who heard the story I'm about to when tell. When you're ready to process, said, you should make a podcast episode. So true. So here I am. I processed, and I'm making this podcast episode. Starting with the why. And don't worry, I'm not about to tell you anything sincerely fucked up. I was lucky, and I made it out of the situation untouched. Physically, anyway. But let me quickly back up and start at the beginning. It was early January, and me and a close friend, let's call her Dee Dee, were ready to leave our other friend's house and head home. We wanted to sleep in our own beds, and it somehow got to be 4am, so you can imagine how tired we were. I almost stayed later, but decided it would be better to just share the ride. The Uber was ordered, and as soon as we stepped in, my right arm went around Dee Dee's left. Something fell off. Looking back, I realized we never checked to make sure the license plate matched or ask if he was there for the right person. We just got into the back seat, as we were so used to doing. The driver was wearing a baseball cap and no mask, so I could see the grayish stubble on his pale face. He turned the music down, and I asked him why he was driving so late. While we inched forward, making a six-minute car ride feel like six hours, he responded that he liked the fact that there was nobody else around. Several suspicious back-and-forths ensued, and the further we drove, the tighter I pulled Dee Dee's arm close to me. In a quick text message, we decided she would get off at my stop, and I would drive her home from there. Which we almost didn't get to do, because the driver seemed to pull out every attempt to prevent us from getting home. From trying to turn into an obviously incorrect side street, to not slowing down at my house. Some instinct told me to converse very openly about my angry father, who would be awake due to his new work hours. I hope he isn't awake, because he can be so scary, I heard myself say, but I'm sure he will be. My real father was tucked into bed, kind as a teddy bear, sleeping like a dog. 
We had no weapons except for our imagination. The good news is we both made it out safe. The bad news is I was fucking terrified. I had never experienced fear like that before. I didn't catch a second of sleep that night, which ended up being a secret blessing because I swear I saw one of the most exquisite sunrises of my entire life. Vibrant oranges melting into pastel pinks. I took it as a sign. I was very grateful to be admiring that sunrise. My fear rolled out into the next several days, giving me a completely new set of glasses with which to see the world. I've been processing, and now more than ever, I've been listening. I could make a million episodes about this topic, but for now, here's the first with a pretty dramatic introduction. I really hope you enjoy the rest. I am talking with Jasmine. I know them from a USC club that I'm in, Nova's Think Tank. So hello to Jasmine. Hello. Thanks for having me on your podcast. (laughs) My pleasure. So I'm bringing Jasmine onto this episode to talk about a concept that I learned in the Novus Club that we are both in. And the concept is called power-based harm. And I think it was a way of looking at issues such as sexual assault and also just assault and harm in general um, that happens in the world. It was a, a really important and new, for me, way of looking at it. And I want people more people to know about it so uh do you want to give just a brief explanation as to what is power-based harm yeah definitely and i also want to say that i really appreciate you trying to spread awareness about the term because i feel like it's such an important way to understand these issues but like very few people know about it Mm -hmm. and very few people think about it from this perspective so basically power-based harm also called power-based abuse, is when someone or a group of people use their power, basically they're in a position of power, and that gives them the ability to use power, control, or intimidation to harm other people, either physically or emotionally, who are in a position that don't have as much power as them. I think power-based harm is also pretty important to understand in in relation to gender-based harm as well. They often go hand in hand because men often have more power in these situations. Yeah. Gender-based harm is something that occurs under the umbrella of power-based harm. Uh, So that being said, there are other forms of harm, power-based harm, that also occur under that umbrella. Gender-based harm, it's just one, as you mentioned, that might be more predominant or maybe more easily recognizable. Am I right as to think that the power that we talk about in power-based harm isn't always, like, the type of power that is more typically talked about? Like, for example, in school, there's classes, I mean, luckily, like, thank gosh, I love that there are, but there's classes on gender and patriarchy, and we learn about that power difference a lot more nowadays, but there are still other types of power dynamics that might be less... Uh, easily recognizable yeah definitely and i think that's where the term intersectionality comes into play i feel like people throw that term around a lot nowadays but it is really important to look at 
these identities not as like adding like oh maybe they're like a teacher and they're position of power maybe they're male so they're like in a position of power looking at the intersection between those and how maybe a male teacher compared to a female teacher would be in a different position and that will lead to different dynamics yeah definitely and that is so important with the conversation that we're having today in this episode about ubers and lifts because from my experience that i had when i felt unsafe in an uber i reflected and realized that there was a big power difference there and that's partially why i wanted to talk about power-based harm in this episode however i do recognize that the uber where i felt very unsafe that occurred in my hometown uh, which is a very predominantly white area in new york a suburban town and that's that's different (laughs) very different than where we are in usc um intersectionality might be very important to take into consideration so let let's name some of the power differences in ubers and lives and frifts for the audiences so they can understand what situations might arise but then also how is looking at it with intersectionality in mind important when we're talking about this issue especially at usc oh that's a great question i know just the act of stepping into an uber or lyft is like you are entrusting your life to the driver like they can lock the doors whenever they are taking you to a place that hopefully you want to be at Mm -hmm. but that's kind of like you are giving you are putting your life in their hands and there is an element of power to that but also looking at intersectionality i think there's a very clear class lens you look at it too where uber and lyft drivers at least around usc typically tend to be people of color and also people who are not as socioeconomically privileged as many USC students. So since you're the one paying for that Uber or Lyft, there is also that power dynamic where like, perhaps you have more power than this driver that's just trying to make enough money to survive. Yeah, and I think it's important to name also that like, I, I don't want to put this out and make people really scared, you know? Like, (laughs) I talked about in one of my classes today, which we learn a lot about, in this class we learn a lot about how to be uh, critical media consumers. We learned a lot today about true crime and how, like, narratives of crime uh, are giving audiences trauma symptoms even when they haven't had an actual trauma, it's just from hearing all these stories. They're scared to go outside, they're scared to talk to strangers, and I definitely don't want to do that with this episode. I love talking to strangers when I'm safe, <laughs> and like, I I don't want to get the message across that all Ubers and Lyfts are dangerous, and Frifts are dangerous, because that's not true, and also, like you said, some people need customers to be using (laughs) their services for their uh, income so yeah I definitely want to say that like that is not the goal here and there are safe situations but it also is worthy to note that these I think we've started to take Ubers and Lyfts and Frifts uh, way too casually and you know 
I don't feel comfortable getting into one by myself anymore, and I definitely would not want to send my friend into one by themselves, and I don't know, yeah. The, at least the way I learned it, I learned the term power-based harm so that we could see incidents of like, for example, sexual assault or domestic violence, and we would know that it's not this individual incident between like two people or multiple people. And instead, we can see that these are all under the umbrella term of power-based harm, and that they are all systemic or they all have similar issues that cause them to happen. And then by seeing those patterns, we can better understand and learn how to prevent them. That's great. I think that's so important. And I'm really glad to include that in this conversation. So, I don't know. Audiences, whoever's listening, reflect, take in that information and um, recognize when you have the power in situations. This is not really like the theme of this episode, but I just think it's important. Sometimes when you step into an Uber or a Lyft, recognize when you have the power and treat your treat your Lyft drivers with respect and understand that a lot of Lyft drivers and Uber drivers have experienced some abuse themselves from passengers. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I wanted to talk to Jasmine about uh, and I've also just been wanting to talk about on this episode, but it's really hard to talk about because it's something I'm just starting to learn about, and it's a really sensitive and and heavy and difficult topic, but um, <laughs> don't worry, it's actually, it's not that hard to listen to, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's kind of just this idea that in the fight for making sure that our thrift safety is protected at USC, a lot of students have been perpetuating this idea that South Central is the enemy and the people within South Central, the local community, are dangerous criminals and that we have to be safe against them. And that's not always the case. And I know you said you you don't want to speak on behalf of the community members in South Central, which of course, and I completely understand. But do you think we should be perhaps reframing our conversations about safety with the knowledge that a lot of the danger might not be from community members within South Central? I do think so, especially when it comes to sexual violence and things like that. I feel like USC students are more at risk from other USC students than South Central. But that's also a difficult narrative that has a lot to unpack there. But mainly, yeah, like, I don't want to perpetuate the stereotype that our community is so dangerous because they are low income. And I think that we should be helping them instead of saying that they're dangerous and trying not to interact with them. Yeah, and we'll talk about that later, about the USC student body and danger that we might face from our other students. And it's, I've kind of been thinking like, (laughs) there's this quote from the Hunger Games where Hamish goes to Katniss and catching fire and he's like, Katniss, remember who the enemy is. And I, I love that quote. And I always try to think about that when I'm thinking about issues like this that get really complicated to remember like who is the enemy 
and not blame someone that might not be. But I think in this issue, it's really hard to point to just one reason for why these things happen and why they're perpetuated. And maybe in some cases we can point at ourselves not to blame victims or survivors, but to look at ourselves and think, are we perpetuating harmful stereotypes towards people of lower income? And that's a very hard thing to say. And that, again, as you said, is a whole other thing to unpack. And it's important for this conversation, though. And I couldn't leave it out. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think it's also that the blame can't or doesn't always lie on a person or a group of people. I remember in my feminist theory class, my professor talked about the same thing, where like, when you're arguing with someone, instead you should look up to the other person you're arguing with, and then look at who has the power. And often that's not just a single person, but like, the deep-rooted thoughts, like misogyny, and other factors that contribute to rape culture. Mm-hmm. So basically in the end, and I hate this quote, we live in a society. (laughs) That we do. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on this episode. Yeah, thank you for making a podcast to address these difficult topics. (laughs) I, I love it. So right now, I'm speaking with Caroline Fromm, a fellow sophomore comm major at USC. And I brought her on today because of a lift policy, a change in the free lift, also known as frift policy at USC, which we will dive into. And Caroline is very close to this matter, and she can explain why. Hi, um, my name is Caroline Fromm, and as Tori said, I am a comm major. I love to write, and despite how emotional it was, did really enjoy writing the petition <laughs> that I made um, because I really love to use my voice for change as much as possible, and I've never felt like I've had a real opportunity where someone would listen to my voice directly Mm. in a big setting like this. So Caroline made a petition, it's titled, No Reduction of Safety Measures for USC, quote, safe rides. And this was circulating through social media. I saw it on Instagram and immediately recognized her name because we have a class, we had a class together (laughs) last semester. So... You started this petition. Um, Let's talk about it. So walk me through the experience of hearing about the the new policy that USC created and up to the creation of the petition. Well, I didn't include this in what I wrote, but I actually read about the new thrift policy um, when they sent the initial email back in early December, finals week, to be exact. I read that email and was so flabbergasted and overwhelmed by my life (laughs) that I 
kind of just decided to move on. I think I a lot of that a lot of people yeah. had that same experience. It was also buried under three other messages about just like they they were serving like free pizza, just like weird random messages. It was in a weekly newsletter. Yeah. First, which but, is yeah. pretty crazy considering they send us, you know, uh, school-wide formal emails for really small things. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't do it for this, and they also decided to publish it on a Friday afternoon um, during finals week. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so we're not trying... Obviously, we don't know what's going on in USC administration because we're not there. Mm-hmm. But when you hear some of these things, it's really hard to think that it was unintentional. Exactly. There's far too much that I know now, especially that I just can't ignore or pass off as coincidence. These, the things that I've mentioned so far are all examples, you know, the timing and convenient location of the news when it was first announced, because, you know, I I appreciate you saying that other people felt that way because Mm -hmm. I didn't know that anyone else had even seen the email. Like no one brought it up. No one was talking about it. Yeah. And when I saw it, I was fully like, this must be a mistake or something. Like, there will be a follow-up email or something of that nature or an apology. And we'll figure it out when the time comes. And when the time didn't come. Well, let's talk about really quickly what it said in the email. Um, Yeah. So in the initial email, it said um, on December 3rd, they first mentioned it on December 3rd, and they ended up sending out another email on December 6th. That was from the Department of Transportation specifically, but mm-hmm. they initially announced it in the newsletter. Yeah. The subject of the newsletter was, we are SC. See you in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. And we are SC. it was very casually designed and worded. And I wrote here, located on the third page, below an announcement about free pizza, the university chose to share some very important and alarming information. You're reading from the petition then, right now. Yes, yes. And then they, they sent another email on behalf of the Department of Transportation. But once again, nothing official from the school and nothing that would get students to read this information because... Most of the time when we receive emails from the Department of Transportation, it's something to the effect of, um, oh, here's a report of a uh, safety incident. Or I had, I just have so many random transportation emails. Yeah, I mean, like we and we are receiving how many emails every day, especially during final season, exactly. but just throughout the semester. Like the which, initial email that they sent had the change in lift policy which let's just describe well first we can say like what what thrift has always been yeah thrift or free lift is kind of a a very well-known um service provided by the university one so well known so well known there's like a usc song that goes she take a thrift to get this d usc she take a thrift to get this d this is true it is a running joke slash concept that people are very familiar with 
Yeah, I think yeah. we all maybe take it for granted a little bit because we just oh, never totally. thought that it would be taken away because of how used it is. Exactly. It's a very, very highly used system. Mm-hmm. And I fully attest that I definitely was not as appreciative of it as I should have been. But also, I thought that I would have to be fighting for that because it was such an important part of USC's safety plan when they were pitching it to us prospective students. Yes. They included it as a part of what they were doing to make their students feel safer, especially since the hours extended to late at night. And it's, um, am I wrong, 7 7 or 8 p.m. to 2 a.m.? It was 6 to 2. Oh, okay, so 6 p.m. to 2. Right now it's 7 to 12, but they're resuming... 6 to 2 on the 22nd. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It might actually be 6 to 12 right now, but I'm sure that it ends at midnight. Interesting. Um, also, yeah. USC is so, a huge party school, and everyone's walking around, going from house to house, using um, thrifts. <laughs> and there, there will be, like, fully, probably, on a Friday and Saturday night, and even Thursday, if you go to leave, for example, my apartment building at nights, there will be anywhere from one to five different presumable frifts mm-hmm. because not many other people take lifts as college students. It's expensive to exit the zone. Yeah, it can it's be very like expensive. it can be upwards of like twenty, thirty dollars to go within our frift zone, which is like a two mile radius. Yeah, especially exactly. at like high traffic hours. I've tried to call or i've called successfully thrifts before but it crosses out the price and i've seen the price sometimes be as high as 30 dollars right for a half a mile which is just absolutely insane but it's worth noting that i think the lyft drivers they actually like really like it they love it they love it because they get to just stay in the same area they get paid really Mm -hmm. well and uh, I mean, like, hopefully, like, they'll give a t- students will give a tip, and it's very, yeah. it's good for the Lyft drivers, it's good for the students. USC has the money for sure, mm-hmm. so it's it's no, just it's, it's, it's great. great for the Lyft drivers for sure. I've actually, over the past now a year, have asked most of my Thrift drivers uh, if they enjoy driving USC students around, mm-hmm. and or if they stay in the area, they say almost every single time it's either i basically only stay within this area because there are constantly drives and they're so short Mm -hmm. and they pay well because it's a high traffic area Mm -hmm. or they say oh i actually had no idea that you guys had that policy i'm gonna start doing that now Mm, so right it's taken very well from the driver's perspective from what research i've conducted which was definitely unofficial to say the least but (laughs) yeah um... I I do have done similar things and have had very similar conversations and I was very happy to find that out because you know we're going to talk a lot about safety and ubers and lifts and also like danger in ubers and lifts but I say that with um the experience of having many great Lyft drivers who have been very kind and I'm not at all trying to villainize um, Lyft drivers. Honestly, they're they're great people. So it's definitely not an attack on them at all. Their ability to um, be responsible 
it's fully that they shouldn't have to be, which will, that kind of leads us into the policy a little bit more. So um, let's explain what that okay, is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's the thrift system. So USC sent out this uh, conspicuous, is that a word? Mm-hmm. USC sent out yeah. this conspicuous email mid-final season and like very discreetly announcing a change in the thrift system the cherished thrift system and what was the change and the change was they they claimed to revert back to pre-covid thrift policy which as a sophomore i had never heard of me neither it's changed so much even since last school year in the spring it was all day every day so fully for the people who weren't paying to live in their housing and people who were just bumming it out here basically Mm -hmm. me included online school i mean everything was online that semester yeah so it's interesting to see how that has evolved as well but the the new policies apparently what was before that um, when pre-COVID, which they say is um, a quote-unquote shared ride. So if you are riding alone, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, it's also just to slide this in, they have somehow made it the most confusing verbiage I could ever possibly come up with. It reminds me of in 1984 by george orwell newspeak where it's like yeah purposefully impossible to understand what's going on that's exactly what this is literally like i'm so sorry if me and caroline like get any information wrong or um so take everything we're saying with a little grain of salt because the emails they've been sending have been so void of actual information and so confusing yeah i woke up I'll get into that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the policy that they tr- that they tried to implement in the December email was one that prohibited the rider from being able to bring anyone with them. So if they were riding, they were riding individually, and they would most of the time, all of the time, it was not specified, be paired with a random i will say random because even though they are usc students they are still random people our school is twenty thousand undergrads yeah trying to give us the comfort of knowing that it's going to be another usc student as if that helps at all but so essentially you can't bring anyone into a car with you Mm -hmm. and unclear communication on if you will be riding alone or if you will be riding with someone random. Who they say and, would be going to a similar location? Yes. And they said that you could coordinate it so that it could possibly be your friend if you were both going to and from the exact same location. But as I said before, leaving my apartment building on a weekend night, there are so many other people leaving and coming back. Yeah, and I think it's also worth noting that this you can't get in with your friends thing is completely new because they said that they were reverting. They didn't say this in the original email. They said this in a recent email they sent that they were reverting back to 
a previous policy probably to make it seem like it was better because it's something that has happened before um but in the policy in the thrift system before covid the one that existed before me and caroline went to the school yes you would share the lift with someone else another usc student but you would be allowed to bring up to two friends i believe at least either one or up to two friends with you in the car because before covid the passenger seat was open so you could fit four people so you wouldn't have to be by yourself and that is a very important part (laughs) yes and they were able to achieve that very easily obviously like they've said they've done it before um and really the issue at large here is that we i won't speak for toy obviously but I feel as though my school is not putting my safety as a priority. And I don't feel like as a student, I should have to beg them to take into consideration not changing something that would make me feel unsafe. Completely. It's actually very saddening because, you know, you want to have pride for your school because you're paying a lot to go here and spending a lot of time here. But it's really difficult to be a proud happy trojan when Mm -hmm. usc does things like this so you were flabbergasted as you said i love that word yes by those emails and the policy and i think it was during winter break and you said you were in italy yes so you were like having a i think in the petition you mentioned this that it is your it is our only real break during the year and you took time yeah. out of your Italy vacation to deal with this. Yeah, I fully took, I think, almost two whole days like away from my family to write, edit, share, and attempt to write an email to the administration that I ended up not being able to do very well just because of all of my emotions. Mm. Um, so... Yes, it definitely took a lot of time out of my out of my winter break and this was also my family's biggest trip we've ever taken. Um my siblings first time in Europe. A very big deal to, to my family and myself. And I know that they were really upset that I wasn't able to join them for 2 days. Mm. And I had to explain to them that I felt it was I don't think that I could have enjoyed anything else knowing that this was in the back of my mind that when I was going to go to school which I was leaving I came back really early um I was going to go to school and have something that I use multiple times a day potentially right um be completely changed and made to make me feel uncomfortable um and also, like, beyond safety, it's it's comfort and it's, I mean, I'm someone with pretty severe anxiety and the idea of getting in a car with a stranger is terrifying. By yourself. I think, yeah, I think for most everyone, I obviously can't speak for everyone, but um, whether you have anxiety or not, it's, it's a pretty scary situation, mm-hmm. um, especially given, you know, the, the people that, we have at this school who we know have proven to be not taking our safety into priority as as well and 
some of them are inhibiting it. Are you talking about the Sigma Nu situation? Yeah, um, mostly. Just kind of in general, I think that there are a lot of people that are, our school is very, very diverse in that it has a reputation that is still very much there and it is still fueling that reputation by admitting certain people and certain amounts of people, but they're also trying to diversify themselves uh, by promoting first-generation college students and minorities and especially uh, very lower-class families. Um, they've helped them a lot if you are the the chosen one mm-hmm. of by USC, and they really like to promote that. Yeah, They have diversified so much and it's great i do see it visually yeah but we can't claim diversity fully or inclusion maybe we can claim diversity we can't claim that our reputation is gone or that we are promoting inclusion when we still have such a mass of very wealthy white people and yes i mean I say that as a white woman who comes from an upper-class home. Like, I am very aware of my my position in all of this, but mm-hmm. personally, I see myself as um, slightly removed from the people who are contributing to said stereotype. And that's kind of where I link it back to um, SNU and everything that happened this past fall. Yeah, I was really, really, really infuriated to begin with um but almost at the pure pure naivete of the people who thought that it was an isolated issue and i just know i mean i know that every single fraternity on the row i know personally someone who has been affected i i think i can make that statement yeah but that aside um, there is yeah. very much a culture that that uh, promotes getting very, very intoxicated very often. Promotes, you know, there are basic rules in the Greek system that are very, very interesting, to say the least. Um, for example, women are not allowed to have men at their sorority houses but men are encouraged to invite as many women as they can to their fraternity houses stuff like that there are systemic issues within our school within greek life within life i mean i won't even start to get into that because there's so much there but that are causing these people and a lot of which are women and minorities mm-hmm. to feel unsafe and to feel as though they are not in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. I feel that way when I voluntarily attend certain parties and I have thought it over with myself and kind of drawn a boundary for myself of this is how far it will go. Mm. This is the people that I will interact with. This is the level of drunk I will get. 
or whatever, but I shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to make rules for myself to protect my own safety because there will be other people there that I know will not respect my safety. Right. And then two things from that. A, or one, this policy eliminates that boundary that you've set and now you will potentially be forced to interact very directly with certain people that you would intentionally stay away from in other social contexts and two it's just this theme reappearing of having to protect ourselves um when there is a whole ass administration in place and that's what they should be doing Um, that is what i screamed at my dad when he was trying to understand why i was so upset and i am basically doing their job for them as an unpaid 19 year old who is just concerned about the health and safety of myself and those around me right so yeah so your petition um let's talk a little bit about its reception yeah um yeah um i mean to be fair uh i worked very very hard on it and so i was expecting a big result mm-hmm. um not to say that my result wasn't big enough or anything of that effect but um one in four people who saw my petition signed it which is pretty as i said flabbergasting um considering i see it as such a black and white issue and i feel like i presented it as such a black and white issue mm-hmm. there's no room for debate on if this is an unsafe policy and there's there's just no debate there yeah i mean 3,121 signatures on this like when i signed it i think it had like 1,000 so it's cool to see you know yeah that's a lot it's a lot of signatures it was it was pretty incredible especially in the very beginning i got a lot of support from um, my close friends they reposted it on their stories um but like i said a lot fewer than i would have expected I just, I don't know if our student body is aware of how much this would affect them. And USC is making it very difficult to come to that conclusion. Exactly, yes. You So I texted Caroline a little while ago, a week ago maybe, asking if they would be on this episode. Since then, USC sent a follow-up email. Also, side note, they never reached out to Caroline, even though it's pretty obvious from this email that they heard about the uproar from the students um maybe some donors or parents reached out who knows but um they they sent a an email and I text Caroline I'm like did you get that email she was like yeah I'm reading it right now but what does it say I'm like I can't tell you this was (laughs) this email was incoherent (laughs) it fully was they was... they did try to make it seem more important. I think they did say like, did it important say important thrift yeah. update? Yeah. So that was that was a one step forward, and then they immediately took ten steps back with the email. Yeah. Um. So, luckily, they it appears as though you can bring um someone into the lift with you now, which for me, was the biggest part of the policy that Wait, I disagree. Me. I thought that you couldn't. Yeah. You can't. Because... In the new one? 
<laughs> the fact that we're unsure about this and like I've read the thing over and over again trying to figure it out. I thought that they took away the shared part, but you still have to get into it by yourself. Well, they said that we're going to revert to this thing called single ride mode and then never ever gave a definition for single ride yeah. mode and i also like googled it like i put quotations around single single ride mode on google which means like it shows results that specifically have like that order of words single ride mm-hmm. mode and like only the email from usc came up <laughs> like that the term like doesn't exist oh yeah um yeah so it's very unclear as to what we even got out of this quote-unquote change that was announced um because i had multiple people text me um with celebration Mm -hmm. uh you know words of celebration and i responded to each of them where where does it say that there's a reason to celebrate because Mm -hmm. as far as i can see there's still major issues to the policy it's quite baffling that they then went and sent this, which is, in my eyes, aimed at people who did not see the first two emails. Yeah, that's interesting. And they provided a link in the email for more information. You click the link and it's mm-hmm. just the same email again, but then yeah. they, um, just on a website, but then they included a little bit more information on the bottom. And this that, is what I got think, me and Caroline. Was, yeah. Context they included in the website that um, they've changed it now. The original was called Matching Tips, which also confusing. The, the one sent on the 14th mm-hmm. was called Matching Tips when they apparently took the matching part out. Who knows? So. Yeah. I have it pulled up. Do you want me to read the matching yeah, tip? Please. Okay, so it says, If you want to ride with a friend, both students should request the ride at the same time from the same location. You'll most likely be matched to the same driver. And then this is the best part. Or take a friend on a virtual ride by video chatting with them as you ride. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that safety tip. Yeah. Everything has been keeping an eye on what's been going on in USC. Um, you start to see these patterns reemerge, and um, it's not really hard to predict USC's next move anymore. Um, Very true. From a pessimistic point of view, yes. um, we can kind of just start. The disappointment to, is not shocking. Especially for like people who are either really, really paying attention or just mm-hmm. upperclassmen that I've talked to have just been like, why are you... Why do you why are you so shocked about this? Yeah. And it's sad, you know, and also like please don't take away my college education, USC if you're listening to this. Yeah. Cuz like exactly. you know, I'm still getting an amazing education here and I'm still like I love this school <laughs> and I want to be a proud Trojan like you said in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It just makes it so hard. Right. The time and energy that is being focused on this, like, there's so many other positive policy changes that could be made, and instead we're having yeah. to talk in circles about this dumb shit that they should have learned yeah. from last semester how important these things are to us. And 
to break it down in the most simplest of forms, the hierarchy of needs, safety and security is at the bottom. It is our most like, I can't remember if it's one or two, it's that and then like food, water, air, shelter right. are one or two. So it is our basic, like psychologically, our one of our most basic needs. And all I can say is I hope they do better. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm still going to be here for the next how many years, so. Yeah. And I don't want to have to fight for for the bottom tier basic human rights. Yeah. USC, USC, bitch, I go to USC. USC, USC, bitch, I go to USC. I ain't been so in a week. Frankly, the fact that the policy was ever proposed, let alone planned, clearly illustrates the lack of either care or common sense, neither of which are acceptable. I, a 19-year-old, should not have to be spending time on my only real break of the school year begging my administrators to do their jobs. Not only must this policy not be enforced, but the people making these decisions need to be held accountable by both themselves and others. And when it comes down to it, most importantly, we as students should not have to beg for our safety. Thank you. Damn, okay, I think we're going to end this. Thank you so much for coming on, and this was great. Thanks for having me. The final conversation in this episode is going to contain much more explicit content about sexual assault. Again, listener discretion is advised. I'm now speaking with Sammy Soresby-Jones. Hi, I'm Sammy. I'm a sophomore at USC. I'm a law, history, and culture major, and I am co-founder of the soon-to-be registered student organization. Uh, We're working on it, but it's um, Survivor Support Community, co-founder and president. Survivor Support Community. So, yeah, let's get right into it. That club seems like it's fulfilling a desperate need. Do you want to talk about what that need is and why you are going to fill it? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously we're not quite off the ground yet, but I decided to start it with one with my close friend, Ian, um, because we're both survivors and my experience at USC as being a survivor, even before the Sigma Nu, I hate to call it scandal because really what it is is tragedy. Mm-hmm. But before that blew up, being a survivor at USC was already incredibly isolating. And I just knew that I wasn't alone in that experience. And yet I couldn't find anyone else to relate to. And so I'm hoping that my club or community will be able to create an open space where survivors can feel less alone. And obviously we won't be able to undo any trauma, but hopefully we'll be able to just support each other and educate and advocate for survivors' rights at USC. Yeah, that's amazing. And it'll be mostly social and supportive, um, also educational, talking about trauma, things to help with that, like symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, 
book recommendations, just like various bonding activities. Like I really just want it to be social and a community. And then we're also going to have an advocacy branch so that anyone with the capacity and passion for doing that, because I know that work is so incredibly exhausting. So I don't want the club to be just advocacy. I want it to be mostly just based on love and support, but then there will be an advocacy component where we actively try to make things different at USC. I love that. So please join. It doesn't have to be just survivors. Um, anyone who is passionate about the cause, please join. I know so many women whose friends have been intimately affected. And I and sometimes it can be hard to find a space at USC that feels like, at least I've had this problem, that feels like it genuinely cares about you. And it's not just about like appearances. And so even if you're not a survivor, like we're never going to ask you like, are, are you a survivor? And then only if you're a survivor, you get into the club. No, that's some bullshit. Come if you want, even if you're a survivor, if you're not sure, if you're like, this thing happened to me, but I don't feel comfortable calling myself a survivor. Mm. Totally fine. I was there for like years. Mm. So survivor or not, or somewhere in between or not sure, or haven't processed, whatever, everyone is welcome. Just come. And you don't have to be women either. Everyone is welcome. Yeah something positive you know like there are great women and people in general out here doing some awesome things such as yourself and like especially as a survivor um putting more energy into this space that can be so traumatic it's heavy i don't want it to be like a depressing thing like hey guys, let's all talk about the worst thing that's ever happened to us. Like, mm. no, I really want it to be just built on something really positive, you know, just some trauma alchemy up in this bitch trying to make something good out of something really incredibly shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only way that I can think of to approach this because I've done the rage. I have done the depression and it was productive and valid. And I think especially when it comes to survivors, like rage is just so sacred because it's a recognition that you deserve so much better. Um, Writing that one down. No, that quote isn't from me. I've seen it a couple of times on social media, but it really resonated. I have a lot of ideas about like rage. I mean, I think there is like sacred feminine rage about the way the patriarchy is. I don't know how. I or any women get anything done ever because I should just be pissed off all the fucking time. But that's exhausting because there's also the quote about being angry is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. And I think that's true. Anger is can be super exhausting, but it also needs to be felt. But then I also think that... Um, that quote just got me. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking a lot about it. Um, and then one more quote, one more idea about anger is that it's just like an emotion of like sadness that hasn't been dealt with. And for me, I know I needed to get through the anger in order to get to the sadness. Like mm-hmm. it's just sadness that's sat for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Grief. You have to grieve. Yeah. Yeah. And I have plenty more questions on that, but Let's back up a little bit. The reason that I'm bringing you on for this podcast episode is to talk about specifically safety around Ubers and Lyfts. 
even more specifically safety involving issues such as sexual assault, um, misconduct, just uh, scary stuff that happens in those situations. And this is especially poignant right now because of USC's new thrift policy. So we'll get into that in a little, but do you want to speak a little bit on how Ubers and Lyfts impose a very certain scenario that can bring up potential danger that doesn't exist in maybe other spaces? Yeah, so there definitely can be harassment by drivers. I know at the very beginning of the fall semester that a USC student fell asleep in um, an Uber, or sorry, a Lyft. I might accidentally say Uber, but I mean Lyft when I'm talking about USC. Was it a Frift, do you know? Yes, or no, I don't think it was a Frift. Okay. Because I think it was during the day. I don't know many details. Like, I don't know the person personally. I literally just saw the DPS report. Mm. Um, and so she fell asleep in it and then woke up to the driver um, groping her. So certainly there's that kind of danger. I don't know much about other danger with drivers besides just general harassment. I know I've been in Ubers or Lyfts with friends and like the driver would say like suspicious things to us. And it was just like, okay. Um, And you know, there's the general safety rules of like, no, I'm not like, I'm going home to a bunch of friends. Like there's a bunch of men in the house, you know, if they ask like, like lying about stuff like that because out of safety, I think, that's just part of being a woman in the world, but certainly being in a stranger's car can breed all sorts of issues with that. I mean, I'm using gendered language. I'm not trying to disinclude anyone from this. I'm just, it's generally male violence against women, but I'm not trying to invalidate anyone's trauma whatsoever. Yeah. You mentioned how this is, we as as women and as anyone who is in a minoritized group, someone who is just more prone to harm, um, especially from people in power situations. This is kind of something we laugh about a little bit. Obviously, we take it very seriously, but at a certain point, we're all so familiar with it that it's just almost like a shared trauma at this point where we just, you know, oh yeah, like... We have to talk about our imaginary gun-bearing father who is at home, like, you know, and it brings a smile to each other's faces because we, we understand the shared situation that we're in, but it's really sad that this is something that we have come to accept as this is, we have to just have these skills of innate defense. I don't know where they come from. I wasn't taught how to defend myself in situations like these it's almost as if I was just born with it because or no it was almost as if I was just socialized into it as I started to grow older and 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 get familiar with that feeling of um uncomfortable just that feeling of that I don't feel safe with this person and they might harm me so yeah do you want to comment on that Yeah, always being on guard as a woman is, I think, something that we were socialized into. I remember being like 10 years old with my sister, who was 17 at the time, and we were walking together on the street, and then there were a bunch of men on the same side of the street, and so she made us cross the street 
And I was like, why did we do that, Hadley? But, you know, just things that you learn and you learn how to protect yourself, protect yourself. That's with quotation marks. Um, <laughs> I forget it's a podcast. <laughs> Against just like an ever-present threat. And also, I think as you get older, figuring out like, there's really not going to be anyone held accountable for your harm. Usually just with the way that the justice system works for survivors. And it's not like you're going to press charges against someone who cat calls you. So this system, this idea that, you know, I'm really on my own here. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scary. It's really frightening. When, so when I ask you about tactics of self-defense, does your mind go to, I shouldn't have to defend myself? Or does your mind, has have you already accepted that this is just where we're at right now? Oh, this is absolutely where we're at. Where we're at. Like, we're not going to undo, like, thousands of years of patriarchy and men not being held accountable for the ways that they harm women. And I think it's that lack of accountability that makes them feel so entitled to women's bodies. And, you know, we could really get into it with, like, the objectification of women and, you know, just seeing women as meat and sexual objects. But, you know, you're not going to be able to talk uh, patriarchy with someone who's attacking you. So I think it's a worthy skill to know and find ways around as much as it sucks and sucks to think about and sucks for it to be constantly on your mind. I think if anything, I feel like a lot of women or most women are just like acutely aware of that, especially at USC and like college age women with the high rates of sexual assault. It feels like, oh, we should be safe around them and maybe we shouldn't feel safe around them. I don't know. That's like a whole other thing altogether. But that's a good segue um, into frat boys at USC. Let's talk about it. Greek life, all that. So again, I mean, you had said earlier that you were just so triggered by last semester that it's hard to be triggered now. Um, yeah, and I just want to underscore that for our audience members who mm, maybe have experience with triggers, just being triggered by things, uh, especially related to sexual assault, or audience members who just don't understand what that feels like. Being triggered, especially in the world of sexual assault, and I'm speaking from someone who has gratefully very little experience with it, but of course some, because I am a woman. It's the littlest things that can really just make you extremely uneasy and very, like, just start your heart rate, anxiety, um, yeah, some th- <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so having to go through that for a whole semester, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And I also want to underscore the word trigger or triggered. Um, it's kind of been co-opted by conservative languages, like an insult against liberals, like, oh, like rather than using offended, oh, you're triggered and saying that you're overreacting, which is a really unfortunate co-opting of that language because it's a genuine, um, therapeutic term, like is in trauma that certain things are triggers and not everyone who gets triggered has PTSD, but for people who do, it's, it can cause like a full on reliving of the traumatic event. And it can be really small things like 
Um, for example, if you were roofied, then maybe the smell of alcohol, um, small things like that. And they might not make sense to other people, but it's more than just like being upset about something. And I think it's really unfortunate how that word triggered has been used to like insult and demean and invalidate people's reactions to trauma. Yeah, I completely agree. Like before I really, before I developed my own triggers, I I just thought it, I thought that it meant due to the way that it, the language has been changed. I thought it just meant like pissed off, but it's not. It's in, it's like an involuntary body response. There's tons of research and books on it my best recommendation for the trauma book that completely changed the way that i thought about trauma the body keeps the score um is the best book on it it's like the the gold standard in terms of trauma books and that really explained to me how trauma is stored in the body how survivors of really, really acute sexual assault, like incest, often develop um, autoimmune disorders, really severe ones. Like one example in the book was like a woman started to go blind because of an autoimmune disorder. And when she started to, and this sounds like so esoteric and whatever, but it's written by a doctor. It's not like a miracle worker or anything. Like he is an MD. Um, And when she started to work on her, trauma and process it and heal it with things like EMDR therapy. Um, Just going to put a plug in that EMDR therapy, the body keeps the score Two good things, but um, it started to get better. And there's been research on how the immune system becomes very overactive after someone develops PTSD and it's like the body starts attacking itself. And I know that after my own traumatic experience, I started getting sick like all the time. Like I wouldn't just get a cold. I'd get the flu. I wouldn't just get the flu. I would get bronchitis, you know, like it was always just one step further, whether people would be out of school for two days, I'd be out for like seven. So with your experience, um, of last semester and just the constant state of triggered, I don't feel free to put it in your own words. I mean, I think it was less my own feelings about it and more like wow none of my friends are safe here that constant persistent feeling that the USC campus isn't safe for women and also seeing how how even just a few days after the Sigma new announcement um or that email came out frats were having parties satellites like I think this is every college so I can't I can't say this is specific to USC, but it feels a little specific to USC that everyone was just so focused on getting back to normal and they just refused to see, or not everyone, but many people were so focused on getting back to normal that they refused to see how the normal that we're accustomed to is shitty and violent and should not be like how it is. And it's so disheartening to see how people will value partying over women's safety. Um, And getting back to the idea of accountability, like, I don't know that the sexual assault problem at USC, like, I don't think it will be solved by greater survivor support services because that's after the fact. It's not preventative. It's very much reactive. 
what needs to happen is holding rapists and predators accountable because, you know, not like there is assault that happens outside of fraternities at USC. That's absolutely true. I'm not denying that at all. But I think if frat boys see that if they assault a woman, that a woman that not only they, but their fraternity will be held accountable if they cover it up. And, you know, maybe they'll value partying with their brothers over assaulting women. I think accountability is the only way to fix that. Men need to fear what will happen to them if they harm a woman or anyone. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very good point that there's two issues here. There's the issue of how do we deal with the aftermath, but also what is the that's reactive? What's the preventative and I, I agree that there needs to be a fear. I've heard that same analogy used during the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, where people were saying, we need to make being racist so uncool, so looked down upon. If you say something racist, everyone is like, what, what, like, who, like, why would you do that? Like, that's what the culture change needs to be. So people, people will always want to adapt to what makes them most accepted in society. It's like, it's human nature, we want to fit in. We need to create a culture that holds people who cause harm accountable and create a culture where it's, it is unacceptable. And from there, maybe we can get into restorative justice. Yeah, my, my impression of like predators i think so much of it is that they've been socialized to believe that they can do that and socialized to see women as objects what is seriously fucked up is not seen as seriously fucked up and people will treat it like it's just everyday shit like oh Mm -hmm. you got raped sorry like that sucks dude like the same as like losing a pair of shoes and they won't stop being friends with the guy and they won't stop going to the fraternity or whatever it is And this brings up, I know sororities were upset that some people were including them in holding Greek life accountable. And I understand that from their point of view, because there is a higher rate of survivors in sororities. But the issue that people and me personally have with sororities that I've heard from many friends who were in sororities that after they were assaulted by a certain member of whatever fraternity, they told their sorority sisters and the leadership and whatever, and they still had a mixer with them in the next few days. And that really just fucking illustrates the point Mm. that we are valuing normalcy, which is shitty and fucked up, over compassion and just any kind of recognition of survivor's trauma. Like, oh, get over it, go back to normal. And that's not at all how it should be. Right. And yeah, let's quickly pull out the receipts for what we learned, what we uncovered last semester during the Signu tragedy, as you put it. And I like that phrasing. Let's let's talk about really quickly what we learned that the normal was. Um, I believe it was one in every three. Yeah, women at USC is sexually assaulted. One in every three women at USC is sexually assaulted. So USC, we discovered that our normal is different. A shit ton of assault. <laughs> yeah. And also that, what was it? I think there was eight reported cases of sexual assault at Signu. I think it was drugings. Yes, eight reported 
druggings, which what why would you drug someone for what reason you can you can you can put a pretty strong guess in what the intentions behind that drugging were and that's eight reported how many unreported druggings are there what i heard from a lot of frat boys when i went to that protest was oh we're gonna have greater trainings on consent and like it's just it just makes me laugh like this isn't a laughing matter so when I laugh it's because I'm just so I think I have to laugh because I'm out of tears do you think teaching someone about the pillars of consent someone who is who wants to roofie someone you think that's gonna do goddamn shit yeah no just the idea of greater consent training just makes me laugh um that it's going to take care of the problem like maybe it'll take care of some guys who think that they're good and well-meaning but get annoyed when a woman says or when anyone that someone says no halfway through and continues to do it anyway which is assault and that's trauma and maybe he doesn't think it's assault because he's been taught that he has this inherent right to women's bodies so maybe it'll prevent that that's true but will it prevent rapists from roofing people no only accountability will do that. Only mm-hmm. showing that your shit will get shut down if you hurt someone. Yeah. So, so U.S. suit, there's protests. People are taking to the streets. People are taking to Greek Row and doing protests, walkouts, posters. A lot of action going on and people are calling for action from USC. And how do they respond I have a lot to say about the U.S. response. I have to say at the very beginning of it, when the email first came out, I was hopeful. Always good to have a little hope. Yeah, it it was nice for a minute there. I wasn't as mad at first when I saw like the stuff about the buddy system because I just kind of assumed it was a legal obligation that they have to say things like that. And that was the case, but it was still incredibly insensitive because they didn't condemn rapists anywhere, at least from what I remember. They weren't like, you are not welcome at our school if you harm women. It was like, do the buddy system. The buddy system, yeah. If anyone doesn't know what the buddy system is, it's just basically wherever you go, you should have someone with you. So that was exhausting once I started to um, think about that. It's like, oh my God, you're just telling women to like be around other people, but clearly that's not gonna save us. It's incredibly easy to roofie someone. Mm. It's so easy and it's obviously never the victim's fault, which they said in the email. But I have to say, I was really hopeful when they shut everything down that they would take some kind of meaningful action. But instead, they sent out emails that were like letter of candor. And then there was there was absolutely no candor anywhere in there. One, they didn't even say the name Sigma Nu. Um, so that was incredibly frustrating. And one quote that stuck with me from an email, this is an exact quote I'm paraphrasing. It was like, I understand the frustration that that we haven't done something more permanent sooner. And then it was like, some things are just too important to get wrong. And I completely agree. This is far too important to get wrong. But by waiting so long, I believe they said there was going to be an announcement out by December 17th. And I haven't seen anything um, on what they were going to do. I think that it is fundamentally getting it wrong to wait so long. To me, it feels like they're waiting for it to blow over. They're waiting for people to forget. To graduate. To to graduate, yes. 
And then nothing's going to change. They're like, oh, they're going to get so distracted by their school and whatever that, you know, they can't stay focused on this forever. They can't protest. And that way they can get away with doing nothing. And on a more personal note or about the club, just like as a little disclaimer, I might have my own personal feelings about Greek life, but for the club, everyone is welcome, especially because there are so many survivors, especially in sororities, that it would be completely antithetical to the purpose of the club to disinclude that. It's I'm trying to create a community with the club, so like all feelings about that are welcome. Yeah, and a lot of change happens from within. So if people within Greek life are willing to take a stand and hold people accountable, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, so USC has... They have this response, as you said. It's it's not the worst, but it definitely was not action-packed. It was a lot of words. And, you know, words are great. You know, I'm an English major. I, I love words, but that's not what we need right now. And they gave a lot of ways for women and, like, people who would typically be victims of um, sexual assault. They gave them a lot of things to do, like watch your drink and buddy system and stuff like that which always is kind of just a little slap in the face because it's never the victim's fault you know after this semester after fall of 2021 we just talked about where there was a lot of attention on the issue of sexual assault specifically in greek life but also just in general they really said the buddy system which, as I said, stick with your friends. And then they released this new thrift policy. And, I mean, let's talk about it. The way they released the policy through an email chain was very discreet, very bad timing that they sent it out. And um, and you no longer can use the buddy system. Now when you get a thrift, you have to get into it by yourself. And if you order it, you are the only one that can use it. And then on top of that, you will now be paired with a random person, like a ride share. If you guys remember, Uber did this once where you could like do like a ride share where they'll pair you with a random person going to a similar location. A random USC student, which as you pointed out, we now definitely know that USC students are not safe a lot of the time. Yeah. No, it was completely coincidental that I saw it. Like, I rarely ever read... Well, okay, that's not true. I sometimes read the emails that USC sends, but they're usually just so administrative and boring and things I already know or don't apply to me that, like, I skim or whatever. I don't even know how I stumbled upon it. I think I just scrolled to the bottom, like, skimming. And then I saw that, and I just remember thinking what? Mm-hmm. Like, wow, this is some bullshit, but it's the middle of finals week and I can't deal with this right now. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I, I can't deal with this right now. I do not have time. Didn't they also say we're not accepting questions at this time? Yeah, they were like, we will not accept any questions until whatever date. I think it might have been the start of this semester. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I just like, it's not funny. I mean, it's a little humorous how ridiculous this is. <laughs> It's a little humorous. Like this I saw this for the first time on a satirical student run magazine called Sack of Troy. It's like the onion for USC. So I when I saw it I was like that's a that's a funny joke. Imagine if that was real. 
haha joke was on me because it was <laughs> no i like i kind of forgot or i very much forgot about it i was like you know what this is a next semester problem like i will figure this out later but once i saw it in the sack of troy and people started like getting attention to it i was like oh, okay good i'm glad that everyone's on the same page about this and it was like then that i started really thinking about what that meant um because there're just so many different scenarios and i think it largely applies to people who are traditionally um the victims of sexual assault like for example if you're with a friend and you both call a lift and you don't get in the same lift then one of you has to be left behind who knows how long that next lift is going to take to get there right and who knows if the pairing system is going to make lift wait even longer the logistics so then you're very sticky to say the absolutely and like it would take 30 seconds for someone to be seriously harmed mm-hmm. like you're going to leave people alone mm-hmm. in the middle of the night when you're saying that the buddy system is one of the only roots of action in this case make it make sense <sighs> Um, yeah i mean even the buddy system is not at all bulletproof the fuck like not even a little bit and even beyond just being drunk like if we talk about the super high prevalence of roofies here you can't get your friend who was roofied home safely mm. yeah picture that scenario how's that gonna go your friend stumbling falling and you just have to put them in an uber close the door and pray yeah, and if they're roofy, they're likely unconscious, so how the fuck are they going to get into their apartment? Now we're going to expect these Lyft drivers, now we're just expecting them to deal with the responsibility of an extremely drunk person by themselves, like, boy or girl or any gender at this point. Now we're just expecting them to deal with, like, an extremely drunk student in the back of their car, like, by themselves. Like, that's, like, when we now expect teachers to have guns to protect against us uh, shooters or, like, impeding dangers. Like, like we're supposed to have leaders... That help us we're not why are we placing this burden and responsibility on like the individuals who already have so much stuff going on in their lives and how much money is this gonna save like really because we know that they're doing this to save money um After and they just hired a new football coach for what was his salary like millions millions of dollars millions and millions like, go to a go to a usc trojan football game there is no question there is no question how much money this school has. Like, look at the village. Everything yeah. is brand new. We have a Trader Joe's. We have a Target. We have tons of restaurants. Like, <laughs> It's just ridiculous. And now you're trying to take away our lifts? Yeah. Now that this is on my brain, I've been talking to people. Like, my hairdresser today. Like, random person in a store. Like, so many people have really scary Uber and Lyft stories. And I'm not trying to get into one by myself right now. And even if the policy is lifted, it's frankly just really insulting and sad that even for like a couple months, this is what they thought that they would have their students do. Yeah. If anyone from USC admin is listening right now, like, please just do the right thing. We're all expecting you to. I don't think many people really expect that this is going to be how it's going to be this semester. Even my parents don't understand. Yeah, my mom doesn't understand either. Yeah, but just do the right thing. Because what's the alternative? Wait for someone to get harmed directly because of the policy and then change it? You don't have to do damage control. You can just not do the damage. 
exactly like you know the usc admin if you're listening you know the pr this shit's gonna draw like i'm already <laughs> making a podcast i'm actively making a podcast about this like <laughs> well this has been amazing thank you so much for taking yeah. a pretty long time out of this crazy first week of school and also zoom if every anyone out there in zoom school I'm so sorry, like maybe try blue light glasses. Zoom sucks and I hope that everyone is uh, doing well out there because no one is. <laughs> um, this is a statistic I'm just gonna plug. I'm plugging it all the time, anywhere I can. My mom read an article and shared this with me. 95% of college students last year reported mental health difficulties, 95. So if you're struggling, you're not alone. And if you're struggling for reasons of trauma, consider joining a group such as sammy's or also just take your time and um we're here for you Um, yeah and biggest plug for trauma of any kind emdr therapy google it it is the gold standard for trauma therapy find a therapist who is emdr certified word i love therapy with my soul um okay yeah so that's sammy soresby jones for you everybody thank you (laughs) The next day after my Uber incident, I yelled at an old white man at the gym. The innocent gym member had walked into a room that I was in alone, and right before I stormed out, unconsciously leaving my equipment on the mat behind me, I interrogated him for his motives, which I presumed to be bad. He turned out to be a very friendly guy, and I realized then that from such a comparatively minor trauma, I had been significantly changed. That night, I wrote this poem that I wanted to share. There is a lot of anger in my words and in my voice, and it's a very authentic glimpse into my state back then. I haven't titled it, but it goes like this. This is me reciting a poem by me. Old white men recently scare me, terrified, anxious. I wish it weren't true. I know you weren't born like that, so eerie and threatening, heart beating in my chest, fast like a running hamster. First, just a child, you were. At first, just a little babe, screaming for its mother's soft chest. I try to 
to find empathy. I know it's the culture. I know it's the rape culture and the systems, the patriarchy, and all of those gendered systems which rule our fucking world. Mother Earth. (laughs) But listen, old white men. It is very hard to defend you when I keep having to defend me. When I keep having to defend me. Thanks again to Jasmine, Caroline, and Sammy for contributing their voices to this episode. Sammy's club, Survivor Support Community, can be found on Instagram at at usc.ssc. And thank you to our audience for sticking with me as I tried to navigate this wild jungle of a subject. And if you want to continue this conversation, please reach out to us on Instagram at at thegenzine, where you can DM us with the first word pod. Be sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever listening platform you're using and be on the lookout for more episodes to come. You can also learn more about Gen Zine at www.gen-zine.com. See you next time.